Well, good afternoon and welcome back to this week's Table Talk. We're so glad to have you with us here at the table. And uh, we're also so glad to have John Sherman with Hi us there. today. Hey, good John. To you, welcome. John. Great to have you. It's so good to have you. You, you and Jennifer, um, I guess the spirit of full disclosure here, uh, have been in um, my small group with our small group for many years now. Yes, yeah, several years now. And you were also one of the, if not the first year, early year member of Run For God. Yeah, second well, year that, that you guys had it. Yeah, yeah, way back. And so always appreciate your desire to be in Scripture and uh, the questions and the, the, the deep thought you give it. So yeah. we look forward to having you at the table today. Thanks. And uh, David, thank you. Uh, Great to be back. To be, back. to be back. And yeah. uh, thank you for the message yesterday and uh, on what is really, to me, personally, one of the more challenging and unique and interesting episodes of of Luke, of, of the ministry and teaching and life of Jesus, really, that until recently, um, wow, and really over the last couple of weeks, just uh, did not really have that aha that I feel like I have now. And so I hope that we were able to share that. And maybe that's the same with many of you viewing. And of course, we're looking at Luke 9, mm-hmm. uh, 28 through 48, and really it's 28 through 36. Right. It's where we spend our time. It's part two, unit 12 in your certainty book. Page 100 is where it begins. And uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of Jesus revealed. And before we get into a couple of questions, we did get some viewer questions on this. Uh, maybe just some ins- insight or thoughts. Anything that, aha, Jude, John, yeah. <laughs> as well, if that yeah. makes sense. I think for me, it was the topic of conversation that Elijah, Moses, and Jesus were having and how narrow and focused it was on the suffering and crucifixion that was yet to come. It was not a celebration of previous miracles or, or things he had done. It was looking ahead to the achievement of God's purposes. Oh man, that's a good word. That's, you know, I, I don't think I'd ever thought about that either, David, that it actually gives it to us right there. And, and really in all my years, I never thought about it because you get so kind of lost in the glory and the bright lights and the moment of everything that you never really thought, wow, they, they sat and they were talking about this and, and they were still thinking about God's will and yeah. purposes and all of that. So. Yeah. Oh, good. Good word. Thank you, John. David, anything new Sim- for you? Similarly for me, um, <clears throat> just the fact of Moses and Elijah getting a real picture of two people who died hundreds of years before mm-hmm but are alive, <clears throat> active in God's plan, purpose, um, conversing with Jesus. I just thought that was fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, I, before we get to the viewer question, I just had a comment yesterday from someone just to, to make sure they understood what you said about that. They were alive. This was not sort of calling up of the spirits no, or divination no, no, or anything no, like that. Not at all. Yeah. They not a ghost. They, I mean, they were. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. The yeah. Lord allowed them to recognize who they were somehow. Yeah. But and be engaged in that. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thank you, David. And, and for me, it really uh, sort of went together with just understanding uh, the, the verses and the passage right before it and just the whole tone and mood of ministry really transitioning right here. There's like yeah. this real pivot from um, he went village to village teaching and healing and doing these miracles. And then all of a sudden he turns into, okay, who do you say I am? I, I am Christ. Oh, do you know what they're going to do to me? Oh, you, you know, to, to lose your life for me is, is to gain it and, and you'll suffer as well. And we get this whole shifting and it's almost a, a climatic moment, the transfiguration. Right. Um, right. And and it now moves us toward Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And so I just to me, it was really uh, came to life like what all is going on from Luke 9, 1 on. And this is just a real pivotal moment in that. Um, 
Well, good. So I'm sure there's, again, a lot to get to. But before we look at the questions, John, can you read that passage? And, sure. and really, can you, can you read 28 through 36 yeah, of chapter 9? Yeah, we'll stay with Transfiguration. Thank you. All right. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here now. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Mm. Thank you, John. That's... um. That's really rich. And, and out of that, David, uh, a couple of questions I thought were, were particularly interesting for us to discuss today. The first is from Renee. Mm-hmm. And Renee asked, again, she's using the background because it's all sort of, it's important right. in its context to right. know what's been right. said and done. If you look at Luke 9, 27, mm-hmm. the, the immediately preceding verse to right. this passage, Jesus says that some will not taste death, death until they see the kingdom of God. And then eight days later, the transfiguration. Is this what Jesus had in mind for James, John, and Peter as far as the kingdom of God? Or was there another explana- explanation to either tasting death or seeing the kingdom of God? And I think what she's getting at is, you know, you could look at that and say, well, wait, they all died and Jesus hasn't returned. Mm-hmm. Have they, did they see the kingdom of God? Or was this actually what he was talking about? The transfiguration was the moment that these three saw the kingdom of God, and they were the ones he was talking about. Well, <clears throat> it's a great question. Um, my initial response is is yes, they're getting a glimpse of the kingdom of God in this glory. So some of those standing there with Christ, with him on the mountain, got a glimpse of that. But I think there's more than that. Um they were getting a glimpse of the kingdom in its fullness, you know, with this glory. Right. But <clears throat> some of those standing there with him, as noted in verse 27, would be alive on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit would be poured okay. out, the church would be born. They would not have tasted death, but they would see the kingdom of God coming in power. Okay. Um, the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, is in your midst. They would go preaching the kingdom of God. They'd see the works of the kingdom. So um, both. Are yeah. true. Okay. Um, they would see the the kingdom at work through their ministry as well. Okay. And in, in different ways at different points and yeah. maybe beginning yeah. with this transfiguration. Right. right. That, um, kind of a preview of the kingdom, though, in the yeah. trans, transfiguration yeah. of That's the good. future. John, had you ever thought about that? Or have, the question itself from verse 27, have you ever considered, <laughs> you know, what Jesus might have meant there? Or? You know, I, I don't really have any added commentary there. Yeah. I, I think, you know, Pastor David's summed it up pretty well. Um, it is one of those difficult things to to comprehend. What were the, what was he meaning by the kingdom of God? Yeah. And I, I think David's right. It's kind of a glimpse into that picture of what was going to happen and the slow process of them going through Pentecost and getting into um, being touched by the Spirit, seeing the healing, seeing the miracles 
yeah. things to that effect. Well, and I, and I don't want to sort of go into speculation or assumption over what, what really is intended here. But one of the things I thought interesting, too, about this, David, was that that word for kingdom here, uh, basilian, uh, that one of the nuances of that word is royal splendor. And I just, it makes me wonder also that the transfiguration, the day of Pentecost, that there was the royal splendor of God, yeah. the the, the yeah. sort of um, splendor of his reign and completeness of right. this fulfilled promise that was, they would at least see a glimpse of yeah. before the they died. Yeah. yeah. The glory, the tongues as a fire on Pentecost, yes. this manifestation of the presence of God seemingly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> well, good. Well, thank you, Renee. And the second question is from our friend Ishmael. Oh, yes. We know Ishmael. Very good questions. This Always. one was, uh, again, one I think we might all have on several places in, in uh, the gospel. Why does it seem Jesus conceals the meaning of all this from his disciples here? They say they are confused. They, they don't ask questions. They, you know, they're not speaking about it or seemingly asking about it. Uh, anything that had just happened. Why, why do you think that is? Why didn't he want them all to be very clear on everything that was going on? It's a, it's a great question. It's interesting how it seems that Christ doesn't reveal everything all at once to them. Mm. It seems that he reveals things as they are able to understand them and perceive okay. them. If we look ahead, for example, to um, verses 44 and 45, shortly after this event, they've come down from the mountain. Jesus says to them, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. What do we read next? But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. Yeah. They, I guess just like us, they feel dumb asking certain questions. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, all the way up into his resurrection, if we looked all the way at the end of the Gospel of Luke, what we would find is that the disciples were quite slow to believe. Um, even when Jesus appears with them in Luke uh, 24, I think in verse uh, 36, <clears throat> he appears to them. They're frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And um, he says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? He's predicted it, predicted it, predicted it, and now he appears and they're slow to believe. Yeah. And um, I, I appreciate that the Bible is so honest that it tells us that. Well, interestingly, you, you say that, David, because I, I was thinking Luke 24 as well. And if you just a few verses after that in verse 45, um, he says, <coughs> then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Yes. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. So uh, it, it's it, there's almost this, okay, it was his sovereign time. Yeah. Uh, the unveiling progressively as they could take it in. And, and, and before he ascends, uh, it seems as if, oh, now there's great clarity. This is what all has happened and, and uh, that, that's, that that was revealed. But why God did this and chose to do it this way? John, tell us why. <laughs> well, I don't know, but I have an interesting correlation to that. In you know, we think about times where Jesus told the disciples to kind of keep it to themselves or keep whoever he'd healed right. to themselves. But in the last verse... You know, it doesn't say anything that Jesus told them, don't speak of this, but it says, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and mm. told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And so what drove them to keep silent? I wonder if they were so 
stunned by what they saw. And maybe that reveals the full glory of what they were exposed to, that they just had no ability to express that to fellow disciples or other people. I mean, we think back to the Old Testament with Isaiah. He was so stunned at seeing the glory of God that he said, woe is me. You know, I'm ruined, basically. Did they have that same feeling that they just could not share it with anyone at that point? That's so good. That's You know, I think at the end of the day, uh, the Bible reveals all that we need to know and much more. But yet every, all, every time we spend, we get deeper and deeper mm-hmm. into it, we also find that it reveals many questions that we want to ask one day yeah. <laughs> that, that we just won't know in this, in this world, yeah. in this earth, in this life. But that's a great question. And we we're, we're thankful that we see what we see here and we just trust uh, yes. that it was as it should be. Uh, but a great question. Thank you, uh, Ishmael and Renee. And um, so that, that moves us in. Uh, to I like to talk about what was in the historical insight, page one hundred and one in your certainty book. And this week, you're going to hear me say this a couple times in the next few questions and, and, and sections here. But David, as you said often, and as we firmly believe here at River Oaks, you cannot disconnect the Old Testament from the New Testament. There, it, and and this passage is a wonderful example in so many ways that that I would say historically speaking, you cannot not know who Moses and Elijah were and what they did and still interpret this passage correctly. And so the historical insight this week, I just, I've got some thoughts about Moses and Elijah to bring us up to speed on exactly who they were. We think of them individually and we have all these things that come to mind and this is really where they're together. And I think at the end of the day, uh, historically speaking, the important part was that um, yeah, in equipping yesterday, I talked about the Mount Rushmore of the Hebrew scriptures you know, that these two would have been on that. And I, I would suggest Abraham and David. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got and maybe the Mount Masada of, uh, of uh, the Hebrew scriptures. But um, and so it's so important to know how they would have been thought about that to uh, practicing Jew and in Judaism, that they were there was no one greater than them before God or under God. And so that was sort of they were the ones lifted up. They were the ones on the pedestal. They were the ones that were revered and honored. And um, so it's important that we know them in order to move us into that moment. So historically, I think, um, I think that's why uh, we, we need to know a little bit about Moses and Elijah. Any thoughts on that? Or does that, uh, does that make sense? Or have you ever thought about that, John? Or? I've never thought about it as far as how it would affect the Jewish culture or mindset yeah. from, from their perspective. But I did think it was interesting when David was talking about how, um, you know, Moses was the giver of the law and then Elijah was the great prophet and kind of God's expression of who he was to the Israelite people in those. Yeah. In the old Testament. Yeah. And that's a good point. Cause uh, David, that was great. Uh, God revealed himself through the law by way of Moses. God also revealed himself through the prophecy by way of Elijah. And now Jesus is here to say, I'm revealing myself in flesh before you. And I no longer need, they're important, but I no longer need the law or the prophecy to reveal myself to you. Um, I am, as in Colossians would say, you know, Jesus, the, the, the visible image of the invisible God. And so we have to understand that what's going on there. So, so yeah, spend some time in that, uh, particularly small groups, uh, making sure we understand that. And, uh, and then maybe the question this week, David. Yeah, yeah. David, um, <clears throat> this is from the certainty book. Yes. Question number three. Um, what does the transfiguration reveal about Jesus? Mm. What did Peter not understand about what was going on? 
Yeah. So again, I, broken record. I, and John's used to this in small group. Broken record. Um, we can't understand that the answer to that unless we understand uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, I believe. I don't know, David, if that's how you also find this as far as Peter saying, let me build a, build a tent, a tent for each of you, <clears throat> right? So the Feast of Tabernacle, the Festival of Booths, and uh, an equipping class as well. If you see online, I've posted examples of what these booths would have looked like then and what they're still practiced today. Um, Sukkot or Sukkot, uh, the, the practice, the Feast of, of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. Um, and in short, P- Peter's intentions, I think, were good. And, and I think this question, what I want us to get at is Peter, Peter looked and he said, uh, look, the, the th- three of you, I, we revere Moses and Elijah. And of course, now, Rabbi, we, we revere who you are. I've just said you are the Christ. So it's good to honor all three of you. Let's, let's construct these booths, these tents, these tabernacles, as we do annually at our religious <clears throat> holiday, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Festivals of Booths. And um, you know, for seven days, we sleep in them, we eat in them. They remind us of your your deliverance, God's deliverance of, of uh, the, the wandering through the wilderness. And so, but I, I think it's great that he's, he's saying, let me build one for each of you. And then God doesn't even let him finish. He, he interrupts him <laughs> as he was saying, yeah. you know, God says, stop. <laughs> as he was saying, God says, no, no, no. Uh, Jesus is the only one worthy of this. Yeah. You're, you're putting all three of them on the same level. Um, let me stop you right there, Peter. Uh, Jesus is the one who's worthy of this. And so I think that's revealing the glory of Jesus. It's revealing his Messiahship, that he is Christ. And uh, I think that's really what's going on when we think about what Peter is trying to do, because that's confusing. That's one of those places for years I I didn't understand the tent tabernacle thing and thought, well, did he think they were going to be out there for a long time and he just wanted them to have shelter? Did he think that they needed to go inside a tent so he couldn't see them? And but but understanding what he was attempting to do versus what God says, no, 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 let's get this straight, that Jesus is not equal to anyone. Uh, he is my son, my chosen son, the Messiah. And so let's just stop you right there. And and that's also interesting that after that, Jesus is alone. <laughs> but uh, I don't. Yes. Is that does that make sense, David? Is there is there anything you would add uh, to to what well, Peter I, I didn't think, understand? I think it absolutely does. In fact, the Book of Hebrews later, um, written to Jewish Christians who knew all of this, had all this background, said yeah. that Jesus is is much worthy of as much honor. Um, then the the builder of a house is of the house, is of a much more honor than Moses, as the builder of a yes. house is of the house itself. Yeah. Um, so the the book of Hebrews compares Jesus with Moses, and there's no comparison. Right. We, I think we like to say often, I don't know if you've ever heard this, John, but Jesus is the greater Moses, the greater Elijah, um, the 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 only prophet, priest, and king uh, that that we now have. And um, <clears throat> I, I don't know. Does that, John? Does that uh, the booths and tents and tabernacles, were you always clear on that, or what was no, your I, thoughts on that? I can honestly say I, I had never equated it, or I'd never heard of the that it equated to the Feast of Tabernacles, and I thought that was interesting to learn that. And Yeah. 
get a little extra background the next time you read it and process it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd encourage you if you get a chance, um, I wish I knew the time, maybe we can put it on this, this video, but, um, just put some images or or do your own search on, you know, the booths that are constructed, you know, every family constructed one and they still do today. And, uh, they're, they're sort of like the, you know, a kiosk in the mall or, you know, maybe a, a, a booth at the fair that uh, I think they would sleep and, and eat under and celebrate and worship and honor. Uh, and I think this is what Peter's getting at here. But, um, well, good. Well, um, wow, that brings us to our last look at Luke this week. And one of the things I wanted us to think about, because I think this is one that's very applicable, it's let's set aside the transfiguration for a moment. The passage in your study guide is going to actually take you through verse 48, and which concludes, we're, we're out of the transfiguration, and it concludes with this little episode where Jesus has to, I think rebuke is a, is a good word, mm-hmm. or at least instruct yeah. the disciples who had been arguing about who was the greatest. Uh, who was the greatest uh, among them. And um, so I, I think our last look at Luke this week is um, when Jesus says, you know, the least shall be the great among you. How do you, in your mind, explain that to others or or live it out in your own life or, you know, in a world that's constantly in the pursuit of greatness? How do we apply that instruction of Jesus? What do you think, John? Well, that's a great question. Um Obviously, we can look at the example of, of Jesus and think of the servant heart that he had and the actions that he took to place other people above himself. Um, and sometimes in life, it's like when you're able to reward or bless others, it, it feels like, okay, I'm giving out to them, but in the strangest way, what you receive back is almost a mm. greater blessing than if you had truly you know, received that gift yourself. Yeah. So. yeah. Good word. Thank you, John. Appreciate Thank you. it. David, last look. Well, just when Jesus, you know, kind of uses an illustration there, he takes a child and says, whoever receives his child in my name receives mm. me. And a child is a picture, I think, of, um, of dependency. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the key to this type of um, humility and avoiding this personal pursuit of greatness that you noted is... <clears throat> Our view of God, mm. a high view of God, always leads us to a proper lower view yeah. of ourselves. And when we hold a proper high view of God and a, a view of ourselves by comparison with that, um, yeah, it enables us to walk humbly not only toward Him but I think. Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you, David. And I would just add, I, I think a perspective of the cross and the empty tomb is, is a good way. I, I am reminded of this in Matthew 20, uh, kind of a similar situation where the disciples are saying, uh, you know, what, what's in it for us for being with you from the beginning, right? You know, if we're the longest tenured ones here, you know, what's it going to look like? And Jesus tells a parable about the workers, you know, even the ones that came at the end got the same uh, denarii as, as the earlier ones. And, yeah. uh, and then he goes into, um, you know, again, because he ends that parable with uh, for the last, you know, shall be first. Mm-hmm. And um, and he goes right into and then the son of man shall suffer and tells again to the gospel. So I think he was reminding them and us that a perspective of the cross will enable us to move past any desire to be first or great among others and uh, be humble as he is humble. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you back next week at Table Talk. And until then, may we all praise and worship and honor uh, the glory that is uh, due Jesus the Christ. 
Blessings, friends. Bye.